Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Okay. Well, um, great to uh, see everybody in person and online. Um, great to see my, my good friend Alex has joined as well. Um, so today, um, we're going to be looking at two suttas, um, the Avarana Sutta and the Bahia Sutta. Um, there's a lot to um, get stuck into. So I'm going to be quite quick with my introduction, but I guess um, you could see the Avarana Sutta because it focuses on obstacles and hindrances as the challenge that we face. And the Bahia Sutta in some ways is like the resolution or the solution to those challenges. But in reality, um, of course, both suttas in their own right contain so much wisdom around why dukkha occurs. Um, and how we can be liberated from that uh, dukkha. So I'm going to um, begin with the Avarana Sutta. Oh, wait. <laughs> Two seconds. My device just decided to switch off. Bear with me a second. Okay. On one occasion, the Buddha was near Savati in Jetta's Grove at Anathapindika's monastery. He addressed those gathered to hear the Dharma. Friends, there are five hindrances that overwhelm mindfulness and weaken wise discernment. Sensual desire is a hindrance that overwhelms mindfulness and weakens wise discernment. Ill will is a hindrance that overwhelms mindfulness and weakens wise discernment. Laziness and drowsiness is a hindrance for overwhelms mindfulness and weakens wise discernment. Restlessness and anxiety is a hindrance for overwhelms mindfulness and weakens wise discernment. Uncertainty is a hindrance for overwhelms mindfulness and weakens wise discernment. Now, my first question for you all would be, um, is there anyone either online or in person who has never experienced all of these five hindrances. <laughs> Great question. You're not supposed to put your hand up. <laughs> um, let me, um, I'm going to pick someone at random. Uh, David, sorry to pick on you, David. Have you experienced all of these five hindrances at some point in your life? Uh, I've experienced uh, those all at once at times in my life <laughs> and I've all oh, right there you go okay <laughs> thanks a... David so even somebody as who um uh, so peaceful and calm as David right the venerable <laughs> David <laughs> even David has experienced all five right and I think in reality if someone were to say they hadn't experienced all five um, that would be some kind of, uh, at any point in their life, then that would be some kind of superhuman quality that they would have been born with. Um, 
And so these um, these hindrances are part of human nature. They're part of the life. The the wiring of our brains is set up like that way, uh, that way. And I think the problem occurs uh, when we demand not to be wired in this way, when we think there's something uh, wrong with us because we're experiencing um, these these hindrances. Um, and, you know, it, it really is the, the nature of this game of life that we're all playing. Um, I really like sports analogies uh, because for me, sports, um, we turn obstacles into challenges and we can become a bit more inspired to overcome them, um, right? And so it will be a little bit like um, playing baseball, you know, dedicating your life to playing baseball and demanding that everybody else let you hit a home run every single time. What the hell right? is this bloody bloke know about baseball? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm making an effort here. I would far rather be giving an analogy about cricket. Yeah, thank you. Uh, don't worry, I'm definitely not going to be making any references to playing centre field for the Yankees or any... I know what that means. That's um, <laughs> But But... You see, the problem here is that, you know, we're, we're, we're complaining about the nature of, of the challenges that we face. Um, and, and it sounds absurd, right, to say to be spend your whole life playing baseball and always complaining that the ball is coming at you too fast, because that's just the nature of, of, of the game. Um, and so just as in life, um, as in sports, we can train to overcome these obstacles. And this is this is why the Dharma for me um, is so um, is so inspiring. So we're now going to come to um, to to that. So the Buddha continues. I will provide a simile. Suppose a swift mountain river flowing unimpeded, carrying everything with it. A person builds many side channels, so that the current in the middle would be dispersed and dissipated. A slow river could carry along everything or go far. Now, this reference to side channels, I guess, is a reference to anything that might be a distraction in our lives. Um, whether it be um, uh, something, some distracting uh, uh, dharmas or whether it be some distracting habits that we uh, that we have. Um, and I, I like um, this analogy because it it. First of all, especially the final sentence, the slowed river could carry along everything or go far. So first of all, the river would be slowed. But then most, the most important word there for me is the word or, right? Because it's, it's basically giving you a choice. You can either be this sort of clogged up river that doesn't go very far, um, but carries with it all of the things of the world and the ideas and the struggles of the world, all of those five hindrances, or you can go far. And that doesn't mean go far in a worldly sort of sense of getting rich um, um, or being successful, um, but it means go far in terms of actually understanding what it means to um, uh, live a meaningful life um, and really finding um, liberation from all of the things that, that stress us out in this, in this life. Um, so we have a choice. In, a, in the same way, when a person clings to these hindrances, this is the Buddha's words, they are weak 
and ineffective. It is impossible for these people to understand what is for their benefit or for the benefit of others. It is impossible for these people to develop awakening and the truly noble distinction in knowledge and vision. So here I think, you know, the, the challenge for us is essentially how far can we go? How far can you go? How far can I go? Um, we know the rules of the game. Uh, that's the four noble truths, right? We know, thanks to these teachings, we have some tools and techniques which can enable us to go far, right? And the question then comes down to, well, how far can we go? And how far we go depends um, in many ways on, on how much we respect these rules and, and, and how much we adopt um, the, um, the, the tools, if you like, which are um, uh, shown us through these teachings. The Buddha's words again. Now suppose a swift mountain river flowing unimpeded, carrying everything with it. A person comes along and closes all side channels. And he does this, uh, this is uh, John's words, but by developing the Eightfold Path, the Buddha. The middle of the river would be unimpeded and would not be dispersed and dissipated. The swift river would carry along everything and go far. So again, what I find interesting here, so this time you have a swift river, right? So there's, there's real, there's, there's, life is flowing, right? As it should do. Um, at the same time, it said it would carry along everything, right? So stuff is still going to happen in life, right? We're still going to have the ups and downs of life. Um, life, uh, the, the uncertainty of life is still going to affect us, but we can go far because we can experience all that life um, has to offer us and all that we face up to um, with these teachings um, and through um, uh, a new sense of liberation, that these things don't affect us um, as, they, as they previously might have. So in that sense, we can go far. We can go far in terms of um, the Buddha, uh, in, in terms of becoming liberated. The wise, um, okay, in the same way, when the wise Dharma practitioner abandons these five hindrances, it becomes possible for them to develop strong discernment and become effective in their development of my Dharma. The wise Dharma practitioner understands what is for their benefit or for the benefit, benefit of others. They understand how to develop awakening and the truly noble distinction in knowledge and um, vision. Um, and again, that final line for me is quite meaningful. Uh, you know, they understand. So the wise Dharma practitioner understands how to develop awakening. Um, and it's just those, it's for me at least, it's that understanding of the rules and the principles, which immediately makes life a lot more meaningful. It doesn't mean to say, it doesn't matter if we haven't completed the path yet, right? It doesn't matter if we don't still, on many occasions, get sidetracked or get distracted uh, by, by, by other things. But life has become meaningful because these teachings have enabled us to sort of understand the rules 
um, or the nature, the nature of, of living on this planet and how to live in this world in a uh, more peaceful way. So that's the end of um, the Avarana Sutta. Um, and now uh, we're going to go on to the uh, Bahia Sutta. So I'm going to start just by um, reading a sort of a slightly extended passage, and then I'll um, comment on some stuff as we go. So the Bahia Sutta. Bahia was revered in his community as a person of great understanding. One day in seclusion, Bahia entertained the idea of whether he was an arahant, an enlightened being, or was he lacking in some key understanding? In meditation, a female diva told him that he was not yet an arahant. In fact, his current practice did not have the qualities that could give rise to enlightenment. And then the comments here of uh, John, uh, the diva is a metaphor for, Bahia, for Bahia's own heightened awareness. He asked the diva, so in this sense, insight arose within him, if there was one in the world who knew the way to enlightenment. The diva told Bahia of the Arahant, a rightly self-awakened one who teaches the Dharma. The Buddha was in Savati at the time. Bahia immediately left to find the Buddha and learn the Dharma. He came upon a group of monks and asked if they knew where to find the Buddha. The monks told Bahia that the Buddha was on his arms round. Bahia went into town and came upon the Buddha. Bahia feared impermanence and uncertainty and was concerned that he or the Buddha may die before he, Bahia, received the Dharma. The Buddha was serene and at peace. Bahia placed himself at the Buddha's feet and asked, Teach me the Dharma, awakened one. Teach me the Dharma for my long-term welfare and lasting happiness. The Buddha replied, This is not the time, Bahia. I am on my arms round. Bahia pleaded, Awakened one, no one can know for sure the dangers there may, there may be for you or me. Teach me the Dharma for my long-term welfare and happiness. A second time, the Buddha responded, this is not the time, Bahia. I'm on my arms round. Now, um, take a quick pause there. I mean, something that, that I've been, um, you know, reflecting on is why did the Buddha turn Bahia down twice? Um, and I think there are different ways of, potentially interpreting this, and this is all um, a little bit speculative, right? So we can't know absolutely for sure. Um, but one, um, um, one um, strong possibility um, is that the Buddha was simply very concentrated um, at the time. Um, he did say, he says, I'm, I'm at peace, I'm on my arms round, right? And you can imagine, again, in any other setting, if we're on retreat and somebody is deep in meditation, uh, and then suddenly somebody comes in and says, tell me, teach me the Dharma. It may not have been the right moment, right? So it could be as simple as that. Um, another possibility um, is that um, Bahia was um, or had a little bit of a reputation or was known for um, not being like having maybe conflicting Dharmas or maybe in the past he had asked distracting questions 
Um, and so, you know, the importance of a well-focused Sangha and not getting distracted with questions. It's possible um, that the Buddha was um, aware of that when he was first um, approached. Um, and another possibility is, of course, that it was a test. It was a test for Bahia uh, to see how much he really, he really wanted to learn, how serious was he to learn um, the, uh, the Dharma, especially if it was to interrupt somebody else's sort of state of um, peace. Anyway, third time lucky it was for Bahia. So um, I carry on with the sutta. Again, Bahia pleaded, awakened one. No one can know for sure the dangers there may be for you or for me. Teach me the Dharma for my long-term welfare and lasting happiness. Finally, the Buddha relented. I will teach you the Dharma, Bahia. Listen carefully to my words. Train yourself in this manner. In what is seen, there is only the seen. In what is heard, there is only the heard. In what is sensed, there is only the sensed. In what is cognized, only the cognized. This is how you should train yourself. When for you, there is in what is seen only the seen, in what is heard only the heard, in what is sensed only the sensed, and in what is cognized only the cognized, then Bahia, there is no you in connection with what is seen, heard, sensed, or cognized. There is no you there. When there is no you there, you are neither here nor there nor anywhere in between. This and only this is the end of stress and unhappiness. So this is the Buddha's sort of formula for addressing dukkha, right? For addressing these, um, uh, any kind of suffering. And so a question I try to ask myself whenever I'm feeling, I notice any kind of conflict in my mind is um, the simple question, do I want this moment to be any different than it is right now? Because if, if that's the case, if I want there to be any difference in this moment to how it actually is, there's going to be some conflict in my mind. And so if the answer is yes, then the next question is simply, what am I taking personally in this moment? And this comes back to the hindrances that we learnt about earlier, right? Those hindrances happen to everyone. We can all experience ill will, right? We can all experience sensual desire. The problem is, is that when we take these things personally, um, it's, it's far easier to create this illusion that we are the only ones that suffer from this problem. Because we're personalizing this problem to such an extent, you know, this is my ill will in this moment with this particular person or in this particular situation, then we create this illusion that this is my problem and I'm the only one that suffers from this type of problem and I should, you know, hate myself as a result. Um, and then the problem with seeing things in this way is that then we think that the only solution is this quest to always be better, right? To become a better person. And yet the problem with that is but if we're so obsessed with just becoming better all the time, then 
the only way we can ever resolve this problem with ourselves is by becoming flawless. And we're never going to become flawless. It's, 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 it's not going to happen, right? So we're never going to be happy. We're always going to have that dukkha coming back because we're always going to be judging ourselves. And so what the Buddha's teaching us here, you know, in what is seen is only the seen, in what is heard is only the heard, is just not to take these things personally. Just see it for what it is. Don't analyze it too much for why it's there or why it's affecting me. Just see it for what it is and let it go. And of course, as a result, um, this is where peace, real peace, peace that, that, that can stand the test of time um, can, can, um, can emerge. So, so back to the sutta. Upon hearing the words of the Buddha, Bahia's mind cleared. Clinging and grasping, greed and diversion ended, and all self-referential views were extinguished. Bahia awakened, gaining full human maturity. Shortly after Bahia's encounter with the Buddha and his enlightenment, he was attacked and killed by a cow. Now, <laughs> I must admit, when I first read this, I, there was a time when I was, I was on, a, on a family holiday over the summer and I, I did start to look at cows slightly differently. Um, <laughs> but um, for me, so it, there is almost something comical about this in a way. I mean, obviously, I don't have any em direct emotional attachment to, to, to Bahia. Um, but what it reminds me of and connecting it to the previous sutta is that idea that you take everything with you, right? So remember coming back to how you're, you're flowing along that river, but you're still taking stuff with you, right? So, that, I mean, stuff is still happening in the world, which may affect you. There may be stuff out of your control, which, I mean, some things inevitably will affect us. We will at some point, all of us will die. We'll all get old, we'll get sick. So uh, these things, however, once you've gained um, enlightenment, these things can happen to you, but you can still go far. You can still go far in the Dharma. Doesn't mean to say that it's not impossible that tomorrow you'll be killed by a cow, right? Or anything else um, rather unfortunate like, like that. So, um, the Buddha, upon hearing of Bahia's death, instructed some monks to retrieve the body, to cremate it properly, and to prepare a memorial to Bahia. When completed, the monks, knowing Bahia's awakening, asked the Buddha what Bahia's future state would be. The Buddha replied, monks, Bahia was wise. He practiced the Dharma in accordance with the Dharma, and he did not pester me with issues not related to the Dharma, right? So he gained a real insight into that, that focused practice uh, that we were discussing earlier. Bahia, monks, I'm sorry, Bahia, monks, is totally unbound. So even though life hit him, the following day, he had managed to find a way to live in this world, unbound from all of that clogging up that clogging up of the river that we were looking at um, earlier. So, the final part of this sutta. Where water, earth, fire and wind have no footing, there the stars don't shine. The sun isn't visible. 
there the moon doesn't appear. There, darkness is not found. And when a sage, a Brahman, through great wisdom and discernment, has realized this for himself, then from form and formless, from bliss and pain, he is freed. Now, this, these final words took a little bit of unpacking um, for me. But what, what the Buddha is referring to when he says where water, earth, fire and wind, um, in that sense, he's referring to essentially the things of the world, right? They could be things that we perceive to be good. They could be things that we perceive to be bad or, or negative, right? Um, so just as where we see water, earth, fire and wind, that could be somebody cutting us up on the highway, Right. Or it could be um, losing at something or it could be uh, any kind of fortunate or, or for, fortunate or unfortunate circumstance, which which affects. But then the next words are important. It says when they have no footing. Right. So when these things are not taking a grip, haven't got a tight, firm grip on our psyche, when they're not they're not lodged in us, creating all of that eye making, then is that in that is how we can find true uh, liberation right where at the end the, the the we can take our liberation to such lengths that it doesn't matter what happens to us or what is happening around us whether it be we other people might see it as extremely positive or extremely negative we're just at peace and for me um you know that's one of the most important things I've learned over the last few years of, of studying these suttas is rather than trying to always win at life and always try to get things to um, uh, circumstances to to um, adapt or conform with what we want. What if we're to somehow um, look again at what it means to win at life? And what if winning at life just meant to be at peace with life, with whatever occurs in life, and to feel unbound or, or liberated, um, as the Buddha would say, from those externalities, then we, we, we actually can't lose. Um, we can experience life for what it is. So um, that's uh, the end of um, that sutta. Thank you, everybody. for. Um, so I guess we go around the room, um, and I think it's tradition to go online first. So, uh, maybe, uh, Anthony here for a minute. Such a wonderful job, Tom. I love the detail and the insight you put into the sutta. And I resisted the temptation because I was very distracted by the background of your ceiling. It's beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's and I was wondering, is that little column behind you? Was that uh, at one point uh, an opening to another room? Yes, it's a. It's one of these old. I mean, it's a bit of a. It's one of these old Georgian houses where um, it, it, this room used to be. I mean, it, it's a bit ridiculous. The the, the ceilings are, are are so tall. I as you can see, I don't know what to put on the walls. Big <laughs> <laughs> okay. picture. Yeah, exactly. I don't have anything expensive enough to put on the walls, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I knew it must be a very old place because the detail in the ceiling is very, very nice. Yeah, 
It's very and the, and the, uh, the chandelier is beautiful too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I had my own theory about why Bahia was, uh, pestering the Buddha like that. And it was just simply in my mind, I thought it just feeds into his narrative of wanting, of the irony of the ending of the story of what, of wanting, wanting this answer so desperately to have a, a long, a long life and happy welfare and to me, that was the only reason. But there are, but I guess we could ponder that. There's really no oh. answers. Yeah, and the irony that he 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 copped it. It was so important <laughs> to have it so immediately to live a long life. That's that's what was my thinking. Yeah. But um, uh, I and I kind of wondered. Uh, not that I guess we can create a whole bunch of hindrances that were left out. But since the Buddha included anxiety, I wondered why he didn't include the alternative, which would be sadness and depression. Yeah, yeah. Maybe God knows that. I don't know, but yeah, I, there's other I guess references, can... if I could, to where the Buddha references 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 he references regret as one of the um, ongoing experience or personal experience of dukkha. Mm. So it's something that we're yeah, with all the but time. regret it. Maybe regret isn't exactly the same as as the sadness, though. Well, it, but we, then now we're getting into semantics. Anthony, so yeah, when you and I'm yeah, like, I mean, you, you can split hair when you really look at, yeah, when you look at the hindrances, they cover all the other um, human experiences of dukkha, you know, the the the, the joining a, a thought with a feeling generates something that we might call sadness, but that sadness right. is also part is also generated initially from these hindrances. So, it's a good question, yeah, often mm -hmm. under restlessness. Worry is also used as part of that definition. Yeah. So that might, and again, you yeah, and they say anxiety is worry about the future and sadness is worry about the past. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the story. To me, the um, the side channels represented the hindrances, which is, I guess, another way of saying the ego. And yeah. And then, um, eliminating them would be acceptance which would then allow which would then allow the um water to flow but it was a beautiful Absolutely. story and very well presented as particularly you. on your first venture thank <laughs> you thanks anthony um great let's uh move on uh matt hey everybody um tom excellent well done I really like how you framed it, where the understanding that came out of the Bahia Sutta could be the the solution, or the 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 understanding that that um, kind of brought resolution to the hindrances, um, in that the hindrances coming from the five senses can be, like you said, anything out on the street, in the world, something coming through the eyes, ears, nose, touch, taste, smell, whatever. Um, as soon as we link self-identification to those things and need them to be different, then we're, we're stuck. So it was cool to, to hear how you, you frame that together as, as that was, 
but he is understanding brought resolution to that. So I, I like that. Well done. Uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, Brian. Yeah. Um, thanks, Tom. This is great. I agree. Uh, well presented, well thought through. Um, for me, like, like Anthony, the, the thing that was coming through for me was ego and anatta. Um, and the thing that is experiencing the hindrances is ego. And, and the hindrances are just a, a, a bit of a, an expansion of the, the defilements, which are resolved in the Bahia Sutta um, by the, the understanding that it's your ego that is overlaying your senses with your, to, to create this experience that's just unnecessary. Um, and once we strip that back, we can just see what's there. We can hear what's there. We don't have to identify, judge, or prefer um, what's happening is what's happening. Um, so thank you for the teaching. Yeah, and we've just got so used to have that ego's always been there, right? And so it's just it's, it's hard so, to let go of. Yeah. It's hard to let go of. Yeah, but it, it's it's simple, but it's it's difficult. That's right. It's it's hard. Um, thanks, Brian. Uh, Alex. Hi guys, I've got a bit of bit of noise in the background here, so I'm going to keep it short. But very clear, very well thought through. I expected no less from you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just nice to be back. A very nice summary at the end, which really landed for me. Um, yeah, I think um, yeah, that that was the bit that I really got a lot from was the summary at the end, really really nicely rounded off. So well done, and nice to be here. Good to hear you, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, good to see you. Um, all right, let's go around uh, the room. I can't see everyone in the room. Um, I, um, I, I I heard people earlier, and uh, so maybe we can move the camera. Ah, Ram. <laughs> As you wish. Um, very nice. Um, very well done. Um, I actually, um, I was surprised in the, in the first sutta that um, I had uh, actually read it too fast because I didn't, I didn't see that, um, that distinction between and and or uh, in, in, in those first lines. Um, I, I thought there was actually a, um, um, uh, some kind of a, uh, a, a mistranslation. But uh, it, it absolutely does make sense that way. Um, Mistranslation. Sorry. It was just a thought, you know. It's a reasonable thought. Yeah. Um, but thank you for for unpacking that and and another good look at uh, at the Bahia Sutta. Um, one of my absolute favorites um, and uh, to to link that back to the to the hindrances is is a, a great way of seeing it um, thank you for uh, for doing this and I thoroughly enjoyed it thanks Ram uh, John outstanding teaching Tom uh, like Alex I expected nothing less uh, good to again, good to hear you, Alex. Uh, good to good to see you, Anthony. I'm looking forward to seeing you again on the 18th. The um, yeah, me too. You made that um, 
the connection between the two perfectly. And that's, again, that's why you know we group these together because uh, one one describes the, the the hindrances to practice, what's going to block us from awakening if we let them. Uh, and the, the Bahia Sutta is the resolution to all of our uh, fabricated views of self that manifest uh, as these hindrances. And Anthony brought up a you know a good point where where these other um, distresses in the world, how do they fit in with the hindrances? Uh, and they're all manifestations in one way or another of the labels that we might put on, such as sadness. Um, you know, sadness could be could be actually seen, I think it's accurate, as sensual desire, meaning wanting something in the world to be different, such as, you know, you know, my parents should have never died, or that, you know, the Aaron Judge should have hit 61 last night when I was watching for the first you know. <laughs> um, But again, we, we can get too analytical about this, and as when Tom asked that question, has anybody not experienced these hindrances in, in, in part or in whole? Um, I, of course, thought of myself first, and I, no, not me. Who else might it be? So I mentioned Krishnamurti, and I'm, I, I am hesitant to mention other teachers here in the Dhamma, but the reason why I do is because here's a gentleman who apparently developed um, a common peaceful mind and a certain understanding of what it means to be a human being. The problem with Krishnamurti, and, he, and I encourage all of you to listen to his talks, he's, he's just brilliant, um, is that he doesn't, he, he only presents the, um, the view of what it, it looks like, what a calm person looks like, how they act in the world, but he doesn't give a clear-cut um, path to getting there. And to me, that's the distinction between Siddhartha Gautam and everybody else I ever read, who came to similar conclusions. I had another teacher way back called Arnold Patton. Um, who came to similar conclusions, but his um, his method of teaching was just to feel joyful all the time. And that's simply not possible for most people, and when we don't, we fall back into self-loathing. So Krishnamurti wrote something uh, similar to his um, facing the hindrances. So even though he developed this later in life, this um, freedom from the hindrances, it, during a time, a brief history, um, Henry, uh, Krishnamurti was discovered, so-called, by Madame Lavatsky, uh, C.W. Ledbetter, and uh, Mr. Levant, and a few others. And so they plucked uh, Krishnamurti out of his uh, Indian family with the promise to them that he was the second coming of the Buddha. And of course, in India, a family at that time would have been uh, would have done anything to give their son off. Uh, to become a Buddha, because that's about the, big, the best thing you could be. Um, after about four years of this, between the ages of 12 and 16, Krishnamurti had a realization, and he wrote it. And, uh, um, he wrote an article, and I think it's in the book Think on These Things, where he talks about. Uh, uh, he doesn't make a direct reference because I think he's too respectful, probably more than I am, but to his to his teachers, and how when he realized that. Um, that they weren't teaching something useful for him, how he went through this gambit of emotions from anger, uh, sadness about how he was feeling towards his teacher, sadness of the, of the separation and the loss, um, and facing that, that ill will. Um, and he went through all of these. And in his mind, I, he, again, the conclusion was, and he, he relates this, that he realized that he just couldn't be happy if he carried these things around with him. And, and while it seems like he never had a, another word 
with uh, the Theosophist once he left. I don't. I don't think he did. Um, it also, uh, you know, he he examples the dominant <coughs> getting past that, which could have been, you know, when you think about a young boy snatched from their family and comes to the realization of that was all a waste of time for him. He could have spent the rest of his life seeking revenge or you know, anything else that you know, ignorant human beings do. Um, but he just he just was able to let it go and he lived a calm and peaceful life. And uh, the other and just touching on the Bahia Sutta, um, and I talk about this more and more. You know, I think it's when anybody gets closer to the end and beginning, you, you tend to think about it. And what it's what the Dhamma has done for for me, rather than resulting in uh, thinking that I might be dead tomorrow and being worried or concerned about it, it just brings. Uh, I was talking to Laura. We had a kind of a talk about this when we were walking the dog. It just brings a vibrancy to this moment when you're not when you know you're going to be dead. You know, it could be in the next breath or the next day, and I'm not concerned about it. Um, so that I'm not concerned about it. I'm just able to live this this moment, and um, the, the 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 most simplest things in life now are so curious to me that that's almost becoming a distraction. You know, like I, I mentioned, I think it might have been to Laura or somebody mm -hmm. that, as an example, I saw the, the back end of a bus, and not that I was interested in it, but something like that could get me into looking at, you know, you know, why are buses yellow? I become I've become that curious just because I see something like that. And but in the next moment, I'm talking with a, a good friend, Laura, or you know, smelling the dog. Uh, <laughs> but all of that, and again, even the dog, it, it's uh, it was like wow, this is you know, this the um, when we let our senses just be, and, and we don't find mm -hmm. a stinky dog totally offensive and get in the next room, it, it's kind of a fun experience, and uh, life is like that, and it should be. You know, once we understand the Dhamma, we understand the absurdity of taking anything personal, and life just lightens up. You know, and it really does become and enjoyable even moment by moment, um, even for someone like me. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tom. I look forward to your next teaching. Yeah. Thank you, John. Um, if you can move the camera around, it'd be great. And so I don't think we met uh, the gentleman next to John. I'm Adam. <laughs> Adam. Hi, Adam. Hey, Tom. That was... Uh... I've seen you before. Right. I haven't been introduced. Yeah. yeah. Howdy. Greetings from New Jersey. Howdy. <laughs> uh, that was brilliant, Tom. Um, I got so much out of it. I, you know, I could talk for an hour about each thing that that you extracted from that, um, uh, and your your connection of the two uh, dom, uh, suttas was so beautifully nuanced, and uh, this really resonated with me. But the two things I think I got the most out of it were. Um, the idea that you can keep on going even with these, all these things caught up in the river, it can still flow. Um, uh, you know that you know if you're playing baseball, that fastball is still going to come at you, um, and it's just you know uh, how how you how you look at it, um, and the way that you look at it um, is by not taking it personally, um, and uh, you know I'm not getting caught up in eye making. Um, you know, the, the things that are sensed are only the things that are sensed or what are seen or are just the scene. There's not something behind it that you made. That's, you know, a reflection of your anxieties or what have you. Um, so you really brought that out wonderfully and thank you so much. 
Tom, could you give me a minute to ask Adam a question? Sure. Adam, could you describe the diminishing of your eye making since you began? And about 18 months ago, is that, is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's seeing it, it, observing it happening, and, and uh, um, rather than just like feeling like the wave of uh, pain or anxiety that results from it, see, seeing, where it, seeing it arising in the moment. Yeah. That's what uh, jhana meditation and sort of the, the calming of the mind has really helped me with. Yeah, that's it. Thank you, Adam. Mm -hmm. And it becomes self-encouraging, doesn't it? Just yeah. even if if you still know there's so there's a long way still to go, it's just a fact of making progress and yeah. um, you know having this knowledge and this sort of almost this this these guidelines through which to live your life, it's, yeah. it just makes everything a lot more encouraging. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the solidity of the Four Noble Truths is very reassuring. Yeah, yeah, certainly Thank is. Thanks, uh, Adam. Um, and I think, uh, I can only see half of her face, but I think that's Laura. Yeah, hi, Tom. Thank you so much. <laughs> this is great having you teach us from the UK. Um, what's the distinction? I mean, everything you said, it brought a lot of clarity uh, especially um, when you were saying in the very beginning, you know, we are hard, hardwired this way to experience these, you know, hindrances from moment to moment. Um, so I'm just trying to uh, recap the distinction between still kind of being immersed in these hindrances, but I guess not interjecting my identity or self-identifying with them. But then the Buddha always says, abandon, abandon. So, but it's like, they're not gonna go away. It's like, we're still immersed in them all the time, I guess, but we just kind of, you know, go along with the flow and- I think- Gently abandon them, I guess. Yeah, I'll have, I'll have a go at that. I think at the end, that final reference, um, when, when he talks about the, you know, earth, wind, fire, that's kind of a reference to sort of things in the world that will happen out, out of our control, right? So the example of, yeah, driving along the highway and somebody cuts you up, right? So it's things that will happen without you being able to directly control them. I think the thing about the hindrances is that they are created by us, like individually. So they're not we're not, we don't have to be immersed in them, right? The reality is that, that unless you were born with a, 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 a brain very much differently wired to 99.9% .9 of everybody else on this planet, you are going to have these hindrances, right? You will face up to them. Um, but the hindrances themselves can be abandoned. Um, they will probably and they might not at some point they may stop coming up and i guess that is what what would happen when you are enlightened right is that these hindrances i mean they'd still be there but but they wouldn't affect you anymore because you would have achieved such a level of of of, of concentration mm. um but the hindrances themselves yeah you don't need to be immersed in them you just need to be aware of them and then you need to be able to abandon them um as soon as they arise Whereas the other things of life, yeah, the externalities of life will happen. Or there are certain things out of your control, such as um, birth, aging, sickness, dying, 
and otherworldly stuff, you know, uh, politics, all of these things um, that, that, that happen. Does that, does that yeah. help clarify things? Yeah. Yes. Tom, again, yeah. when the Buddha is mentioning abandon, um, obviously we're abandoning what it has occurred when the guy cuts me off mm-hmm. instead of me either chasing him down immediately or chasing him down for the rest of the day in my mind and what I should have said what it, it I abandon it in my mind it's a practice of what we hold in mind determines our experience so the mm-hmm. Buddha is saying use your concentration and refined mindfulness to recognize the eye making mm-hmm. and simply let it go mm-hmm. so as Tom pointed out you know that's the situation that initially caused the reaction is likely to come up again mm-hmm. and we abandon it again yeah. again in our minds that's, so that's the practice of refined mindfulness yeah. is in this moment wise restraint so mm-hmm. it's a, a great question and, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks thanks Laura. for the question thanks, Laura. helps to clarify as well those two distinctions so thank you um, and uh, I think last but not least uh, David hi Tom thank you Something you said during the first sutta, and I think it may have been John's comment, is heightened awareness. And I've always thought of the hindrances as an opportunity, because when they arise, if they just fly by like Adam was mentioning, then you're in that deluded state. It's just happening. But through jhana meditation, and as John said, refined mindfulness being developed, it goes to like really what right effort really is. You're aware of when a hindrance is present, but you're also aware when a hindrance isn't present. So part of that step-by-step liberation is that you don't judge that hindrance, you don't rail against it you don't wrestle against it it just is seen and and then it passes away and i think once you take that approach you don't see a hindrance as a bad thing it's just something that has arisen and passes away so i thought you brought that out really well in these two suttas so thank you Thank you so much, David. Um, okay. Uh, I don't know if anyone else wanted to add. Did anyone else want to add anything else? Or At some point, I want to hear the cricket analogy. Not today, but at some point. Uh, I, I, I don't always got a sticky wicket in it. Our, uh, <laughs> our fall retreat is begins October 21st, ends Sunday on the 23rd. The uh, email referencing this will go out tomorrow morning. Um, Please read it. And if you're going to join us, um, sign up as soon as you can, just so we get to keep a head count going. Um, I think that's it. Again, Tom, just an excellent teaching. I'm so glad you're one of our Dhamma teachers. Mm. Um, You you just have a a way of teaching um, that it's it's compelling and you, you, you really draw us into the uh, what could be complicated or, or very nuanced parts of the Dhamma, you explain them clearly and plainly. So, again, we're just so uh, fortunate to have you as one of our teachers. Thanks again. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Uh, I'm very fortunate myself uh, to be part of a Sangha and uh, 
all of all, everything I've learned from everyone else and from these teachings. So thank you. And thanks for the opportunity. I, I'm realizing that teaching the Dharma is a, is a really good opportunity to go deeper in my own understanding because I, I, I go a lot deeper in studying the texts. And so it's a great, it's a great, great opportunity for me. So thanks for, uh, thanks for putting up with me for uh, the last hour or so. It hasn't been tough. <laughs> great. I, I don't have uh, the meta, I'm afraid. I don't know. Um, I don't have the text Laura, up. So you want to do it? It's right in front of you, Laura. Someone else wants to do it? Yeah, Laura's going to do it. Whether she likes right. to or not. Is it okay, Laura? I don't mean to push it. If you'd rather not. I don't know. That's just the callbacks. Oh, that's the other ones. Oh, here it is. I'm sorry, Tom. Okay, here we are. Okay. This is the Karaniya Metasutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you, Laura. Thank, Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Thanks, Tom. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. See you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. We should have, I should have this memorized. I've heard it so many times. <laughs> it's like, you can memorize parts of, of it. But <laughs> yeah. anyway. It's on the website on the yeah. meditation page. That was so great. Wasn't it? He's such a good teacher. God, he's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been it's, meaning to do it. His talk that he gave on the retreat was just remarkable, too, and I'll get oh, it up there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, again, I've got such a deep bench here. 
I know. I was thinking about that. It's we're gonna have amazing. We're going to have two or three more teachers installed, installed yeah. on our next retreat, which oh, wow. I think gets us pretty close to 10. Wow. And that, when you think about, I mean, look at the size of our song bed, yeah. it really is remarkable. Mm -hmm. And it's time for me to go. All right, <laughs> everybody just on your stop, stop the recordings and give me my phone. Stop. The best part. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.